Hey, welcome back to the Frontlines Podcast. I'm your host, Peyton Jones, and I am joined today by Curtis Zachary, the author of Soul Rest. And we are going to talk today about all things rest, healthy cycles of rest, unhealthy cycles of rest, burnout, striving and straining, and basically missing God's intent in our life. So, Curtis, welcome on to the show. Man, it's an honor to be with you guys. I'm excited. Yeah, it's really awesome. I I was telling you before this that I actually need this talk, right? I have building going on in my house. I've, you know, just uh, come off of a a marketing tour for uh, Church Plantology, my textbook on church planning. And uh, I run too many podcasts. I do too much. And I am looking to, and you can hear uh, workmen in my house, which this is an ongoing joke with Todd Wilson, the founder of Exponential, that I am basically building the Winchester Mystery House so that the project will never be done. We'll just keep adding rooms and doors and stairways that go to nowhere. So uh, welcome on here, Curtis. I wanted to, to give our audience a chance to hear a little bit about your background and why you're so passionate about Soul Rest. Yeah, I think that's one of those questions we all get. Tell me about yourself and you can start at any point in the journey. I'll just start where in ministry for me, this began to be a very important idea. My wife and I moved to a city called Richmond, which is just outside of San Francisco in the Bay Area. And uh, the type of work that was happening for us was so beautiful and meaningful. We were getting to be good neighbors to a lot of different friends from a lot of different walks of life. We were walking alongside people in recovery and transitioning from prison into civilian life. Um, Just a lot of different uh, situations that required a lot of intentionality. And I think what I began to recognize very quickly in my time there was uh, the type of work that we were doing was really beautiful and purposeful. I just wasn't sure exactly how sustainable it was. There really wasn't a clear marker for uh, a sense of achievement or even to the sake of understanding uh, when things were done, so to speak, you know, and uh, it was just different in the ministry context than I had been a part of in the past. And what I think it, it started to show me was I was doing a lot of work for God. I'm just not really sure how much of that work I was doing with God. I had developed the ability to uh, handle situations, speak to certain things, uh, develop, you know, uh, talks and, you know, sermons. And uh, I just recognized, even though I was able to do that work, the sustainability and the sustenance for it just felt like it was eluding me. Uh, I think at the same time, my wife and I had become pregnant and we were super hopeful to start a family uh, during that season of time where there was this tension around my identity and what I was doing for God, and maybe even had a thought that uh, having a family would bring some sort of substance or uh, sustenance or, uh, you know, sustainability, even inside of the anchor of that. But then we quickly realized that we had lost the pregnancy uh, after becoming pregnant. And then six months later, carried further into a pregnancy only to lose another child. And then the third thing I would say is uh, during all of this season, I was around a lot of other people and those people loved me. I loved them, but I still felt deathly alone in the midst of all of the tensions of all of what I was feeling at the times where I would start to get a little window into being able to share what I was thinking through. uh, I I would have people respond something like, well, you're the guy that we would normally talk to. (laughs) We're going through something. So I think it was the convergence of those three things, to be honest, uh, 
that helped me to realize something needed to change. And I wasn't exactly sure what it was, but I just couldn't continue in the way uh, that I was living. Yeah, so many people would relate to that, um, I think. I think I love that you brought out that there's no measurable, often in ministry, there's no measurable sense of accomplishment. You know, I, I, I think if you're an evangelist, you look at souls saved. If you're a shepherd, you look at life's change. If you're an apost apostolic uh, leader, you look at churches planted, right? But we don't, we don't tend to really in our day-to-day -day really know how to switch off. So the, the next question is, what is rest? And how have we warped the biblical view of rest? Yeah, I think to transition from how I got there to how I began to pay attention really has a, a linchpin in it. Uh, a quote that I had read during the season by Kierkegaard said, it is absolutely unethical when one becomes so busy communicating that he forgets to be what he teaches. And I think that's partly what uh, began to shine a light on what ultimately is the answer to your question. I think rest is a deep soulish contentment that God is enough and that he supplies all that we need. And it's what he wove into the creation of humanity from the very beginning in the story of creation. We see that he created human beings to be with him first. Then the idea of doing for him came. Uh, I think sometimes if we're not careful, we get those backwards. So for me, the idea of rest uh, kind of transcends the surface ideas. Now, of course, physical rest is uh, truly significant, uh, emotional rest and well-being is uh, tremendously important. But the rest that I'm talking about is this deep soulish rest. And it's alluded to in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is standing in front of a group of people uh, who are striving and straining to try to figure out a way to fulfill the expectations for their lives to maintain what the law tells them to do. And they're doing the best that they can to follow every jot and tittle as things get added on so that they would do a better job of pre preserving what is the purity of the original 10 laws. And uh, they're exhausted. Uh, it's just not possible. They keep failing. And then there's a group of people that are there administering whether or not they are good enough. And they're kind of judging and making sure that they're following. And Jesus has the audacity to stand in front of both of those groups of people and say, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke or my teaching and learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And then he says the words, you'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Uh, the idea of soul rest to me is the thing that is what we're really longing for. It's like Ecclesiastes 3, that God set eternity in the hearts of humanity so that they won't know the beginning or the end. It's that thing in us, whether we know it or not, that is craving more. And I think that's the soulish contentment or rest that he intended. And the rhythm of Sabbath uh, is now just a way woven into human existence to remember this rest, to come to a place of asking that question, God, uh, are you enough for me? <laughs> and sadly, too often in our humanity, he's not enough. We add so much and uh, that's what he wants us to realize. 
That's really good. I've got so many questions already, and I know that our listeners are going to have questions. So uh, as you're listening um, today, we want to give you a chance to interact with Curtis. So drop your questions in the chat um and we will we'll, we'll check in and uh when we, we've got some more questions for curtis um as part of what we want to essentially hit today but uh write your questions or drop them in the chat you can you don't have to wait drop them we'll take note of them might even change the direction that we go at some point so i want to remind you that that's coming up but um that's really good curtis i i, I really like that i think that um, there is a degree to which um, all of us are, are made to accomplish things like God created rest and work. So how do you balance that idea of rest and work? How much work and, and where, where should that sense of accomplishment function in a healthy way? Uh, and, and when does it become unhealthy? Yeah, I think a mistake that we make sometimes is that uh, we make rest and work mutually exclusive. <laughs> and I truly believe that God intended for something different. Um, uh, the other mistake I think we can make at times is that we equate rest and laziness. And I don't think that that's true either. Um, the, the thing that comes to mind immediately, even as you were talking to start off uh, with your own transparency about the things that you're doing and all good things, um, it says in Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's in vain you rise up early, go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. Um, I think it's vitally important for us to know that nothing in what I say alludes to the idea that we shouldn't work. <laughs> work is important. We are called by God. It says in Ephesians 2.10 that these works were set beforehand. Like there is a flourishing which shows the work that comes from this connection to Christ. I think Psalm 127 just gives us a beautiful insight to start answering that question. I think if we're honest, a lot of times we can do work in the name of God, for God, motivi motivated by the idea of advancing God, uh, but do it without God. And that's why that psalm is so important, because it says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build labor in vain. There's mm. two builders. You know, I think about, you know, there's so much. I live in Nashville area, and there's so much explosive growth right now in our city. And, you know, there's a builder and there's a builder when there's a house. The, the first builder is the one who shows up and has a hammer and nails and is like functionally doing the work of building. But then there's a builder. It's the one who has the company who's in charge of telling that builder what is the right thing to build. So there are two people building simultaneously. If the first builder decides, I'm just going to show up and do what I think is the best thing for making this house and starts hammering nails and just kind of working with full effort, full engagement, but doesn't have the direction of the other builder, it could be a lot of really good work, a lot of effort, but to what end? It's in vain. And I think sometimes we need to stop and consider even all of the good things that we're doing for God, this work for God. Is he even inviting us into this work or are these ideas that we've just come up with and begun in our best effort to just do and then ask him later on, 
if you want to jump in on this, that'd be cool. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. And I, and I'm glad that you point that out. I'm glad you, that you clarify that because, um, I, th I think some of the best rest is, is after we've worked, but having that hard stop on rest is important. And I think that's what the Sabbath provides, right? It's a hard, a hard stop for God to say enough, you know, that week is done. The sun is kind of a pattern, right? We get our body takes a circadian rhythm from the, you know, basically the, the coming up of the sun. Then when darkness sets in, nobody does work, right? Paul goes, hey, make sure you do your work in the light. Is you know when it's dark, no one can do any more work. So there seems to be these these hard stops, like these rhythms that were created to fit within. Um, but of course, you know sometimes we don't put that hard stop on our life, and we start to get into trouble. What are some warning signs that a pastor might have, or a leader, or you know just the average Christian? might have that they're getting ready to burn out. What are some warning signs that, that would warn you of that? Yeah, I think it's hard to be prescriptive in something like that because the manifestation of what that looks like will vary in personality. It'll vary uh, disposition, varies in, uh, you know, all of the things that come with our life experience as human beings. But I think from broad strokes, uh, one of the things that I began to think about is how it's uh, you find yourself la laughing less and less engaged with people. You find yourself intentionally withdrawing for the sake of uh, not wanting to weather or uh, uh, connect with uh, others in your community. Uh, you find yourself in times of reading scripture uh, filled with cynicism and almost resentment for the fact that you have to do these things <laughs> like uh, have to is a word that starts or a phrase that starts to creep in when it comes to ministry settings. And uh, again, I, there's so many different things that I could talk about, but you alluded to it earlier and I hate to be reductionistic, but I think we kind of know, like we just kind of know when things are off and we get to a point where um, there is just not a sense of fulfillment and flourishing when it comes to who God is and what he is like. I, I think there's, uh, you know, I'm not a Bible scholar. I'm just a regular dude, but I feel like I've come to this understanding that really the Bible has two main ideas that we need to get in our spirit. Number one is that we need to know God. And number two, that we need to be fully dependent on him. And I think uh, that second one becomes elusive at times. I think sometimes we start to realize I'm not really sure I need God for any of the things that I'm doing, even for God. And that's a troubling thing. And I know many people have found themselves in a situation where there could be a large amount of participation, a large amount of like accolades and uh, affirmations of a success, and yet not even knowing if the spirit of God himself will make an appearance. And that's just being real. And I think it's important. Yeah, thanks for that. Uh, inside of that. Yeah, thanks for that. I, I think that's one of the keys. And I'm, I'm actually really encouraged uh, in recent, probably the last couple of years, I, I think it was really timely during COVID that 
when people couldn't be in that rhythm, maybe leaning on the crutch of keeping busy because busyness feels important. Rest feels wasteful. Um, and many people feel that, you know, they feel guilty for binging the Netflix and, you know, they can go unbalanced the other way. So there's always a sense in which if I keep busy, I'm doing good. Right. And, and, and it's not the case. And I think COVID helped slow people down to start looking at things in a new light. And I, 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 I've, I've been really encouraged hearing so many like yourself that are saying, Hey, um, this needs to be looked at because we have been slowed down and we're still, we're still not back to normal as a culture. Yeah. And, and, and perhaps we shouldn't go back to normal. There's a lot of things that researchers and, you know, work research in particularly has shown for years that if you give people a four day week, they're more productive than a five day week. And there's, you know, of course people will come and dispute different, different pieces of data and what have you. But there's been this conversation going for a long time. Um, so, and I, I also like um, where you came into it, uh, Curtis, not prescriptive on the warning signs. And equally, I'm, I'm guessing that the practices, the daily or weekly sustainable practices to keep you in a healthy place are also not a one size fits all. So what would you say for people generally, what are some things that, that I'm sure you do coaching, I'm sure you've done a ton of counseling on this. What are some things that you talk to people about when it comes to daily or weekly rhythms or practices? Yeah, so to your point, uh, the prescriptive idea really is not very productive because it's not a one size fits all uh, sort of thing. Uh, I do feel like there are three words that have become vitally important for me in regard to instituting uh, a hopeful outcome around these rhythms. The first one is intentional. I think we need to be intentional to show up for the sake of what we're hoping to experience in the way of rest. Now that probably feels like it should go without saying, but to be honest, in many conversations with leaders, pastors, people who are just uh, starting to feel these places of potential burnout, there in honest moments is this expression that I just hoped at some point I'd hit a stride and I'd be able to get to where things would start to feel more fulfilling or they would feel more uh, restful. But the honest reality is truly, unless we show up with open hands saying, God, I want the thing from you that I am deficient in, uh, we won't get that space. We need to show up for it. I think Intentionality is one thing. The second thing is uh, substantial. I think that's a huge leap too. I think some of us have the ability to make a commitment and say, you know what, I'm going to pray every day for 10 minutes, or I'm going to meditate on the scriptures for five, or I'm going to go for a walk or uh, whatever this is. But the problem is sometimes we are so good at the practices that we forget that what makes them inherently spiritual is not the practice itself, but it's inviting God into the presence of the practice. And so sometimes I've been in situations where I've said, you know what, I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to read the Bible every day for 30 days. The only thing I got from it is the ability to say I read the Bible for 30 days. <laughs> the real question is, did I meet with God there? And I think that's our hopefulness. So when people are trying to institute some rhythms of rest, I want to show up, pick that thing, whatever it is, go for a walk, whatever. But when I do that, I want to do it with intentionality that it will be a substantial 
engagement with God. I want to give him the space and I want to believe that he can meet with me there. And then the third one, and this is really hard for a lot of leaders, is sustainability. Uh, we don't go the far point to say, okay, well, I know what I'm going to do. And yeah, I believe and I want God to meet me there. But, you know, we try to gorge and eat it all up as much as we can. We don't think, can I do this for the foreseeable future for the sake of my health and flourishing as far as I can see? And I think sometimes that causes us to, on the surface, move to a space where it's like, well, is that really enough? Once a week, is it enough to, and I would always contend, well, one, has that once a week been there in the past? And then number two, as we've experienced these times of refreshment and connection with God and whatever we want to be intentional in, it just becomes that taste and see reality. We, it becomes insatiable. We want more of that time and we prioritize it in our lives. I love that. I love going to the heart of it. Like, you know, what, what is it? It's kind of like when, uh, you know, the couple, couple of the disciples were following Jesus, John, and I think it was Andrew. And Jesus turns around and goes, what do you want? What are you seeking? You know, that, that kind of, let's get to the heart of, I don't think they knew, but I love that you're defining that with people. What, what is it that you're here to do? And I, I love what I love about what you're talking about, Curtis. Uh, there's been a thread. I'm sure listeners have picked up that you are really typing, tying this deeply into spirituality, like mm. actually experiencing God, which I think is what rest is a great picture of uh, and is meant to communicate, even theologically, rest is communi communicates that experiencing God, enjoying God. And, uh, and I love that. I'm, I'm sure that's intentional as well, but that's definitely what I'm picking up from you. Um, so, uh, you know, many of our, our listeners are church planners and church planners are in, in um, uh, innovative entrepreneurial group. So they, uh, they tend to like to start new things, right? Guilty is charged over here. I tend to start new things. I also, though, have no problem stopping new things. Um, that's kind of the tail end of that. There are bookends here. But uh, for people that are tempted to start new things and maybe feel this sense of commitment or I have to follow through on all this, like, you know, there, there's a difference between I'll do this for a season because it's right for a season, like a limited podcast versus people like, oh, I have to finish this, run this podcast for 10 years now. There will be people that will start and they won't know when to stop. Um, what kind of advice or or how can you speak to someone with the entrepreneurial gifting about how not to add constantly to a to-do list? Yeah, there's two questions that I think become important when it comes to, I mean, there's so many areas that you could talk. We're specifically talking about rest and rhythms of rest. Uh, so there's two questions that I would say are important as it pertains to this. I actually think that for a church planner, it helps in every area of development in regard to what you're doing. Uh, and the questions are uh, why and to what end? <laughs> I think those two questions are essential for a church planner because the rhythm of what it means and the responsibilities of what it takes to plan a church are like a runaway train. <laughs> it's like something that you know 
can begin to move quicker than you expected. It feels like it's out of control. There is no way to manage. And part of that is the beauty, the excitement, the flourishing and the movement of the spirit. Having said that, sometimes if we're not careful, that train starts rolling down the track and it's simply because of our lack of intentionality to ask those kinds of questions. We're not doing the work. It's funny, you talked about busyness earlier. And uh, one of my mentors from afar, Eugene Peterson, once said that busyness can be equated to laziness. <laughs> and he said that, and it really kind of struck and quite honestly challenged me a little bit because you, you find this importance connective to busyness at times. Think about going into your local coffee shop and bumping into some of your ministry friends or people who know what you do. And you say, hey, what's good? They say, what's going on? You go, oh, I'm running around, you know, doing all this stuff. And it's like a badge of honor. <laughs> you know, the sense of you being busy is something that is completely and totally connective to like your identity. But imagine if you answer somebody, oh, yeah, I don't really have much going on right now. <laughs> it's like, well, what are you doing? What's wrong? Yeah. What's problem, you know? So I, I think it's important for us to recognize that the whole idea of why and to what end really helps us because even as you're saying, I want to start new things, I want to begin to institute some rhythms of rest. Well, my first question hmm. is why? Yeah. <laughs> why do you want to do that? And what's so funny is when I say it that way at first, it seems very elementary. Well, of course yeah. I have some reasons. But doesn't it just immediately become very like uh, invasive and very like just, okay, why, you know, and now I love that you have to actually reckon with that. And then if you get through the gauntlet of that why question, then you go, okay, cool. Well, to what end? To what end is this true? And mm. I think sometimes it's an important thing for us to consider because again, the runaway train and the nature of what it means to plant a church feels so magnanimous. It feels so uh, forceful, you know, and mm. it's important to have consideration around what it looks like. It's not about measurables, but it is about thinking intentionally with where we want to be. I love that. And I really like, like I'm resonating with the um, quote that you mentioned because Eugene Peterson's thing about laziness being equated with business. I think you can get so busy that you your intentionality completely stops. And that takes great effort um, to, to constantly be reclaiming that. I, I, I have regular rhythms, speaking of rhythms, where I have to do that. I have to. I was helped by um, Michael Hyatt's book. Yeah. Um, he's got that, um, that journal. I use that thing like crazy because it makes me constantly go back. I need that. I'm like the, uh, the, the car at Disneyland, right? You put a bunch of five-year-olds in, in the autotopia, you know, there has to be that track so they can go over and they're thunking around and bumping on everything, but there has to be that track. That's what Michael Hyatt's book is to me. Just one more resource shout out. Um, one of the questions came about, uh, it's difficult to see burnout when you're heading to it. I would highly recommend Carrie Newhoff's book for those of you uh, that have not read it called Didn't See It Coming, 
which uh, uses the metaphor of being on a road uh, in the fog at night and suddenly driving off a cliff, which all of us who have done that, um, it's not a good experience. No, I've never driven off a cliff in the fog. But, but his metaphor is excellent because he talks about his own personal experience with breakout, or I mean, uh, burnout. And he says, I didn't see it coming. It happened. It was like there wasn't a gradual decline. There were no warning signs that I recognize in the fog. I just suddenly hit a wall and I was done. But now I've gone back and learned to recognize these are the things. So didn't see it coming is, is a great book for that. But it's time for us to take a few questions from Curtis. Curtis, this has been honestly awesome. I love that you're not the five things you must do. I, I've been really refreshed. To be honest, by your demeanor, by your um, your approach to this, um, it it definitely resonates with with me as a planter. Um, that sense of just calling me back to the presence of God mm-hmm. through this. It it you've given me a big why without probably knowing it here. Um, but let let's get into some questions from our audience. Um, what the first question was, I've recently been given the role of pastoral, if I can say it, <laughs> pest, pastoral, pest control. Anyways, <laughs> let me, let me re repeat the question here. I've recently been given the role of pastoral care for our fellowships, pastors, and families. What would be the best way to help them have intentionality in their rest? Yeah, I think it's, again, uh, I want to shy away as much as I can from saying this is what you need to do and this is what will work. But I do feel like introducing that why language into the fabric of the conversation begins to really help shape the outcomes that people are hoping for. Because we all have experienced the encouragement toward what is good and what is right and what is helpful when it comes to discipleship or uh, instituting practices and What I've just learned uh, in my own journey and recognizing my own deficiencies and my own shortcomings is so many times I've jumped into those spaces or those practices or those ideas or read those books or started doing those things. And I didn't have more than a cursory why answer for them. And when you begin to cast a vision and paint a picture for the health and the flourishing of the family to be able to find wholeness and connectedness to God because of what rest brings to their life, that gives more of a broad understanding of what I'm moving toward rather than just another right thing to do as a Christian person. I think another way that I would say uh, deepens that whole idea of the why. I remember I was talking to a friend of mine who was a long haul trucker He drove 18 wheelers uh, and I lived in California at the time and he would take these long trips across the country. And um, he was just telling me about this whole industry. I had not any clue at all about regulatory things, whatever, but he was talking about how one of the most important things in the long haul trucking industry is rest. And they make sure that you get enough rest. And the reason for that is very logical when you think about it. If you are operating an 18-wheeler truck and you are sleep-deprived, he was telling me stories about like seeing things in the road popping up and like swerving Mm. out of the way. And he was saying, honestly, that's why a lot of times when you're driving by on the highway, you see a truck on the 
ditch and you're going, how in the world? These are professional drivers. What did they? It's because they didn't have rest in order to fulfill the work that was necessary. The work was still important, but the rest is what gives them the ability to sustain. And so if I were casting a vision as a pastor for families and even for my staff, it's helping them to see that rest is not just a reward after hard work. Yeah. Rest is actually the sustenance that allows yes. me to be more productive and do the thing that God called me to do. And if if you're listening and you're like, man, I, I, I that makes sense. That's a paradigm shift. There is neuroscience that backs this up. There's an amazing book. I'm like resource shout out boy today. Oh, I love it. There's a there's a, an amazing book by Matthew Walker, who's a neuroscientist. Um who specializes in sleep. One of the statistics he gave was that your um, your ability, like you mentioned about judgment, there was, I can't remember what number of hours of sleep it was, but it, and it's somewhere around where we live, like the five to six hour mark, you know, for some people, it was something like 50% more likely to get in an accident just in one hour differential of sleep because they studied this. They studied people that, you know, how much hours of sleep they get a night and what have you. Just one hour difference lessened your chance to get in an accident by 50%. Um, the people who live the longest in the world are, uh, I thought it was going to be the uh, Japanese, you know, their diet, fish, and not a bunch of red meat, and turned out to be countries that had siestas that observe like you know spain and other countries with with siesta hours in the afternoon where they took a break and they went home and took naps and and, and, and engaged in rest so there is neuroscience behind all of this that shows us that in in even what you said the ability to have judgment now if ministry is anything right. it's a constant judgment call in conversations and, uh, and, and, you know, so many of the, the YouTube videos that are out there with people freaking out on planes and, you know, uh, you know, being Karens in the supermarket or whatever. So many times I'll watch some of those and we demonize them, right? We just say, oh, they're, but, you know, I'm a psych nurse in, in another life. And, um, I, so many times I've watched those thinking, we've all had bad days. And I think that person, Although we've completely demonized them, labeled them, they're this, they're that. Um, and there's different types of videos. So please understand, I'm not lumping everybody together. But there's certain videos you just think, that could have been me with, you know, a lack of sleep big time. So uh, there are certain days where you're just like, yeah, I'd, I'd probably kill everyone around me <laughs> if I were operating off for it. And, and sometimes I think what we're capturing is people that they had a bad day. They had a lack of sleep. They're not rested. They're fraught. They're at their wits end. And of course, we're seeing a, a major increase in violence uh, right now with people's rhythms uh, being off. And so uh, this is all really, really fascinating, Curtis. Um, here's another question. Uh, a challenge that I've encountered is the idea that I will never just be in the church. As the operations director who works directly with our church plant pastor, I have experienced I will always be, quote, needed, always be asked questions and have a difficult time, quote unquote, taking the hat off. What would you advise in those situations? Is rest more of a solitude time outside of the church or how can you find rest even with, quote, the church hat on? 
Yeah, that's such an important question. Um, it has different tentacles, I think, that reach into different spaces uh, of our lives. We are one person, we are whole, and uh, there's a temptation at times to disembody parts of who we are, our church person and our home person and our friends person and our married person. You know, We're a whole person. At the same time, I will say the question that you're asking and its remedy reaches into, for the one person, different spaces of the life. And I think there's questions that need to be asked in every area. Uh, I go back to my original two, <laughs> why and to what end? And to be honest, sometimes when it comes to our serving and vocational ministry positions, we don't always have good answers to those two questions, even in our roles. And I think one of the beautiful things that can happen is if we spend time answering those questions for ourselves, but then number two, moving into a space where the people who we are working alongside and serving with, there needs to be uh, an open dialogue around what these hopeful outcomes are as well. <laughs> it's not just a harboring and a holding on to our own aspirational hope for rest. Because if this is your desire and you want to find sustainability and health, but the you know, planting pastor or your direct report or uh, the culture of ministry that you're a part of is like, yeah, rest is like seventh on our list. <laughs> you're not going to find those things inherently in the culture of your work. So it's going to take that level of intentionality to be able to foster those types of conversations. Now, I know that sometimes feels difficult to do that. It feels difficult to especially for someone who maybe is more driven and outcome-based in their thinking, introduce an idea where you would feel like you're coming across as, I don't want to work or I don't want to be lazy. I get that. But again, if we're talking about true sustainability and health, this is one of the things that I think ends up happening for church staffs in general, whether it's a young church plant or established churches. There's ambiguity of expectation, <laughs> and the ambiguity of expectation is what is a death knell to so many opportunities for a long run of ministry alongside one another. I mean, we have people who are expecting one thing from a church or from a culture or from a leader, but they're not articulated because there's not a fostering of opportunity for connection. And then the same way, the leader is looking at the person who serves in this role and saying, I think that they should be doing this, this, and this, and they're not doing, but they never speak it. <laughs> and so the ambiguity of expectation then fosters all types of potential resentment, frustration, anger. And so I think that's a broad strokes answer, but then I think more specifically to what you're saying, I do think that the question that has uh, helped me to govern what you're saying, even inside of a ministry culture that is not inherently restful, I felt like God started having me ask myself the question, who am I inside my current situation? I think what ends up happening sometimes is I move too quickly to well, where would I be better or what would I be better doing or what would I want better before I run to that, which may ultimately be an important question. Before I get to that question, I think the first question is, who am I inside of this right now? Like what's happening inside of me? What is deficient in me? What would it take for there to be uh, restoration and sustenance to fulfill that deficiency. And then getting those solid answers, 
I think will help you to be able to take steps to the thing that you really need to resolve in your work situation. That's good. And then one, one other question we have, Curtis, is when pastors need to talk with someone and feel they don't want anyone on staff to learn what they're struggling with, to whom can they go for help? And I know this is a, a pretty big question, but have you, uh, do you have any recommendations for that? Yeah, well, interestingly enough, uh, my, my role changed or I changed my role at, at the church that I'm a part of uh, here in Tennessee with the intentionality to do and be just this. <laughs> I, I wrote this book uh, a couple of years back and it was really interesting. It was one of those things that I just felt like was bursting out of me. I had never really set out to be a vocational author, uh, but it was a message that I just felt so important. A lot of people were reading the book and then they would say something to me to the effect of what you, you just asked. Like I read your book, I resonated with the ideas. The only problem is I still serve at a church I still work in ministry. I still lead a team or uh, I lead worship at a church. And uh, I'm not even really sure. I believe the songs that I'm singing, but if I tell anyone, you know, I'll lose my job, you know? So I started working really hard trying to figure out how can I connect these people to resources? And there are a ton of resources. I think there are a lot of different places that people can go in order to be able to deal with some of these issues, whether preventative or restorative. But what I started to find, to be quite honest, is there were spectrums and it was usually one or the other end. One would be uh, intensive counseling, extraordinarily expensive, invasive, uh, all immersive, which again is great and beautiful. I think on the other side, I would find these retreat spaces and then uh, opportunities for people to get away where there would be conversation and some just time to be human, to be yourself and to be disembodied as that last question was saying about from your uh, identity in ministry, just to kind of have that getaway. I started feeling like there was something in the middle <laughs> that was necessary to where it was not just the opportunity to chat through it, but to have some chances to be able to be uh, restored and to be built up with the truths of the scripture and, and the gospel. But to have a chance to be heard and to be seen and to be known and to be loved. And so uh, I started a thing called find rest uh, to be findrest.org, And it was really with that hope to be a missionary to the missionaries, to be a friend to pastors. And uh, that's the hope. So that's a one very focused uh, specific thing, but it really is difficult. And what I would say is if, if that's not a path that you would want to travel down uh, yeah, just understanding that, there is so much merit and value to sharing life with people who may have no connection or idea about your ministry vocation. <laughs> that there is, so we were talking about Eugene Peterson earlier. He talks often about how uh, in his formative years as a pastor, the person who spoke the most life and encouragement to him was just a janitor at the church that he worked at. <laughs> you know, it was just, you know, and if we're not careful, we become so enamored with ministry positions and identities that we inadvertently diminish and minimize <laughs> regular people, air quotes. And I just feel like for those of us who might be wrestling and you might not feel safety in the space inside of your church, there are people who we can talk to that can provide insight and, and encouragement outside. Yeah, you know, and, and to that, I'll just speak into that for a second. Um I, I know you're not you're not here to hear the thoughts of Peyton Jones, but 
Um, I'll just say personally that I've, I've been in counseling uh, uh, for uh, 20 something years, uh, one year more than I've been married because the elders at the church I was at in their wisdom uh, when, when Andrew and I were getting married said, Hey, you, you guys can't afford to not have the support you need. I was 25 years old. I was pastoring a mega church. Actually, I was 22 at that time mm-hmm. and I was the interim pastor of a mega church. And, um, they, and they, they were like, look, you, you, the last guy just blew out and had moral failure. You can't get this wrong. It was probably one of the best things ever done for me. Well, fast forward, um, back in 2017, my house flooded, my mom died, some, two of my best friends died, one of my mentors and someone else. So it was, it was a terrible year for me. And I will tell you, I hit a wall and, I went and I, for the first time, made a one-on-one appointment with this counselor who'd been counseling just couples. We just would go on regular rhythms, whether we needed it or not, no crisis, didn't have to be any problems, just a place for us to talk with a third person. Love that. So we kept it up all these years. And I went and saw him. And when I got in that room, he he looked at me and said, he just smiled and said, I was wondering when you were going to make an appointment with me. I knew this was coming. And and I felt like it was someone who knew me well enough, uh, not just from my perspective, what I want to present, but also how my wife would present me, but probably a more accurate picture there. But he he knew. He knew how I was wired. And he knew everything about my life. And it saved so much time. So uh, we talked a lot about rhythms today. If you can get in a regular rhythm of counseling, um, what I find is really helpful is when you're in a regular rhythm, you save that time. When you walk in and there's a problem, you don't got to do all the backstory. That person knows you very well, and they can actually hear what you're saying in context. And it's phenomenally important. Curtis, that leads me to my final question for you, which is uh, where can people get in touch with you? Where, where, I mean, do you offer coaching? Do you offer anything for people to reach out? Of course, there is the bowl, the, the bowl. Uh, he does bowl cuts. He's a haircutter on the side. Uh, we're bringing that back from the 70s. No, there is the book. I can say it. Uh, the book. I need more rest, Curtis. Uh, but there's the book, which is Soul Rest, written by Curtis Zachary. You can check it out. Uh, Curtis, is there anywhere where people can connect with you? You mentioned a couple websites. Can you just maybe give those again and maybe yeah. any, anything else? Yeah, no worries. So findrest.org is we're just getting that rolling right now. And it's with the hope to be a resource to those who are spiritually depleted uh, or wanting to prevent that from being the reality in their lives. So uh, you can email me cz at findrest.org. Would love to chat with you uh, on all the socials. It's just who is CZ? I'm a big Jeopardy fan. So that's where that comes from right there. And, I love uh, that. That's great. Yeah, Have you been on Jeopardy yet? I've never, I've never been on Come Jeffrey. On, that Curtis, would be a Come dream. on, we got to get you on there, brother. Well, you got strings to pull. pull <laughs> I'm in. All right, I'll see what I can do. Thank you. <laughs> I, I am actually coaching a church planner that's planting in a studio in Burbank that is owned by his hey, family. So I'm usually catching up with him. Yeah, I'm usually <laughs> catching up with him. And he's like, oh, yeah, you know who came through the studio yesterday? And he's always interacting with famous people. Yeah. They did part of the Mandalorian in his studio. And I get to coach oh. this guy. 
<laughs> so I'm I'm trying to get hooked up. So, I like. <laughs> yeah, trying to get a baby Grogu. If I can hook that up, we're good. Nice. <laughs> well, hey guys, listen. Thanks for joining us today, Curtis. I want to thank you on behalf of our audience and on behalf of Exponential for joining us today. This has been super enriching, super rewarding, and uh, just thanks, man. Thanks for what you do. Thanks for for reaching out and caring, you know, for people, for leaders. And uh, on behalf of Exponential, I want to thank you, the audience, for tuning in today. Uh, don't forget the book is Soul Rest. And my guest today has been Curtis Zachary. This has been Frontline's uh, Church Planning. It is our webinar that we run uh, biweekly. We're taking a break uh, until the fall. I want to give you a quick update on Daniel Yang. He's my partner in crime. He is the director of the SIN Institute. He is doing well. In fact, I did reach out to him to say, hey, for our last one for a time, you want to jump on? And he's like, I'm not allowed yet. But uh, he does send his blessings and uh, does miss our Frontline's audience. So thanks for tuning in today, and we'll talk to you guys soon.